0: You know that phrase too old for rock and roll until you and to uh, I'm too old for on.
1: Me too. <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. <laughs> and welcome back to the Metropolitan Culture Corner where we celebrate the creative people who essentially define our lovely city of Barcelona, at least when it comes to art, music, and culture. This month, I am very pleased to welcome one of the first people I ever met in Barcelona, but for whatever reason, it didn't occur to me to interview him before because sometimes you don't appreciate what you've got right up close, right? So when I was trying to figure out who should I interview this month for the Culture Corner, Mm, it came like a bolt of lightning. This month, I am very pleased to welcome multifaceted musician and local business owner Eduardo Benetar Sanchez. Edu was born in Caracas, Venezuela, but he has made his home in Barcelona for over 20 years. He is a founding member of the Latin Grammy-nominated rock band Luz Verde, as well as the critically acclaimed glam punk trio Side Chick, who recently opened for Patti Smith, by the way. That's very cool. He is also the co-owner of vintage cocktail bar Foxy in the neighborhood of El Raval, and the incredibly unique Polaroid Bar, which has been around for years, located in El Barrio Gotico. I have never seen anywhere like Polaroid in my life. It's essentially an 80s-inspired time capsule universe, all its own, complete with E.T. hanging from the ceiling and everything. I highly recommend it, that place is amazing. In a world where so many people play it safe and are a carbon copy of the latest trend, Eduardo is one of those guys who starts the trends, who does things his own way, with his own vision, and of course, with a ton of hard work, he has a master's in corporate communications, is a hardcore collector of vinyl records and an avid concert goer, a film aficionado, and basically a lover of all things rock. There are so many things I would love to ask this guy because he just does so many things. I don't know how he has time for all of it, but somehow he makes it work. Let me see how many we have time to talk about today. All right. Please welcome our guest this month on the Metropolitan Culture Corner, Eduardo Sánchez. <laughs>
0: If you wanna get a project going, maybe a band, maybe a bar or whatever, you really must know what you're gonna play or the concept of your place or whatever, and you really have to enjoy it because doing creative stuff is not easy, being your own boss is not easy, having crazy hours and not knowing when things are gonna happen or you being responsible for lots of stuff, it's a lot easier to find just a regular job and have a boss and get out at six or whatever, but if you really like what you're doing, you might do all right.
1: I think that's not a bad assessment. If you really like what you're doing, it might be okay. (laughs) I like that. Hello and welcome to the Metropolitan Culture Corner. From what I understand, you actually started in music by playing the flute when you were a little kid. So classical flute, then violin, but apparently your relationship to these instruments didn't quite work out. So what happened there?
0: The thing is that my mom wanted to keep me entertained in the afternoons because in Venezuela school is just until one. I was in swimming classes. I was doing French lessons because my grandma was born in Casablanca, so she spoke French. And she had me take French lessons from one of her friends in Caracas. And I had music lessons and you had to start playing the flute. Then after two years, you have to choose an instrument and I wanted to play the saxophone. That was my first choice. I don't know if you remember this. This is just for very old people, but you know Arthur, the movie with Dudley Moore, is like a drunk, rich guy. The theme song from that movie is by Christopher Cross. Well, it has a saxophone solo. I wanted to play that, and there wasn't any saxophone lessons in that particular music school, and I don't know how I got convinced to play the violin. The only advantage about the violin for me, looking backwards, is that it's very portable. Now that I play drums, I look fondly on those days that I had to carry a violin, <laughs> but it was a nightmare for me. I didn't like playing it. I did it for like three or four years, and then I managed to work up a courage and tell my mom that I didn't want to keep having music lessons, and that was like the difficult preteen years. So that was the end of music for me for a while.
1: And that could have been the end forever because you got distracted by football, you were doing other things, but your dad's old vinyl records kind of brought you back.
0: In Venezuela, soccer, especially when the World Cup comes, it's like a big thing. Mm -hmm. So I started being a football fan. I wasn't very good at it. That didn't last long. But then I started like searching into my dad's record collection. I started listening a lot to the Beatles. I became a big fan. So I wanted to reconnect with music again. After a while, I thought that I wanted to learn to play the piano and my dad got a keyboard. He bought it from a trip he made to the States. And as a way to not make my little brother jealous, he also bought like electronic drums. My relationship with the keyboard lasted like 36 hours and then I just started playing drums. It
1: was like this very roundabout path, musically speaking, starting to play the drums. So after the violin, the flute, the keyboard, and then finally playing drums, and you really started taking lessons when you were a teenager, right? Around 15, 16. From all that, what finally led you to eventually meet up with with the band who would become your band for the next 20 years, Verde.
0: So I started playing on my own for a couple of years. I was self-taught to the annoyance of my neighbors in Caracas I played in the afternoons. After a couple of years, and this I don't remember how, I connected with another guy who wasn't much older than me, but he was already in another level playing, and I started taking drum lessons from him. So that guy went to high school with the original bass player from Los Verdes, Pedro's girlfriend. Verde, during those days, I think they were called Alianza or something like that. They had this drummer, and he decided to move to Miami. So Pedro asked this guy, who was a drum teacher, to recommend somebody. Pedro and Wilbert went to my house. I think it was a Sunday night. I straight away liked them, and I was like a big nerdy rock and roll guy. Wilbert was listening to Goat's Head Soup, the Rolling Stone records from, like, 63. And he's like, this is the new Rolling Stones album. I'm like, no, that album is, like, 25 years old or something like that. So we talked about music for a while and they gave me a cassette that I still have. It's a demo tape they recorded with the other drummer. And the famous story is that the cassette had six songs. I was very honest, I told them, I only like one song on this cassette, but I like it a lot. So let's rehearse and see what it takes And we started playing together. That was in May, 95.
1: Well, how old were you guys at the time? Man?
0: We were 17, 18. We were very young.
1: Wilbur, who you mentioned is the lead guitar player, Pedro is a bass player, and Carlos Mendoza, the fourth member of the band. So then there's the four of you recording these first EPs on cassettes back in the 90s. It's 20 years later, seven albums later, you guys are still producing music together, putting out new music. So how is the process different than it was back then? Obviously, the technology but has it changed over 20 years? Or are you guys still the same 18 year olds trapped in built bodies?
0: If we talk about music making, composing and writing music, it's almost the same. Wilbert and Carlos have the lyrics and melodies. We take them to the rehearsal space and then we do the arranging. We create new parts. A song meets a bridge, we do a bridge, but they bring the raw material. What has changed is that before we used to rehearse like three times a week and now we rehearse whenever we have a gig. <laughs> That's the big change. and also. Also, the communication and the friendship for better or for worse is just the same. We just love and hate each other equal parts. We know the pet peeves of everyone and we know when to be nice or to not be so nice. We know each other very well, too well, I might say.
1: If there was a young musician who was starting his or her first band right now, what kind of advice would you give them if they wanted to make sure their band didn't break up for 20 years? Talk to each other and know each other's pet peeves.
0: If you want to keep a band together, the thing that you must really like is the music you're making together and the musical chemistry you have between you. Because if that thing is something that you enjoy, you will find a way to get on personally with these people. But if you don't particularly enjoy that and you think, oh, I'm going to just keep doing this because we're going to be famous or whatever, just don't. You first need to enjoy the music you're making, and that's the most important one.
1: In your case, you guys went on tour in Latin America, in Mexico. I mean, if you spend all this time together, you have to really be able to get along. So how did touring affect the band? And then how did that lead to eventually ending up in Barcelona?
0: The first part of the question, the touring part, we had like different factions of the band. There was a faction of the band that wanted to keep partying until they closed every place in the city. There was another faction of the band that just wanted to go to sleep. We understood that. And we had like two set of keys if we were sharing a room or if we had more than one room. We put the party people in one room and the not party people in another. The only problem was that sometimes the party people was the same people that had to sing the next day. So (laughs) that was a problem. Lucky for us, Carlos is a doctor, so he knows medical ways to get voices in shape, but that was a problem. And how we ended up in Barcelona? while while we were recording our second album in 2002, there was a big political situation in Venezuela. That was when Chávez was taken out of power and then brought back like three days later. And there was like the biggest oil company in the city, which by the way is owned by the government. They went on strike and there was no gas. You couldn't use your car. So we used all the gas that we had to go to the studio and record this album. While we were doing that, we were not in talks about our future because it was pretty Pretty obvious, first of all, that in not Latin America, in the Caribbean part of Latin America, like Venezuela is, the popularity of Latin music is a lot bigger than rock and roll. And also the political situation and the economical situation in Venezuela was clearly beginning to go to hell. So we said, let's just move. And we talk about places and we ended up deciding Barcelona because most of all have come here before. They wanted to live in a place with a beach, which I don't really care, but they love the beach. And we have the advantage that everyone had like another thing to do. We all went with something to study or something to work on when we came here. So it was easier and also it was a small town. It was a big change and a welcome change from Caracas because Caracas stopped big city, it's very hard to handle. I think it was Buenos Aires, Miami, or Barcelona, and Barcelona.
1: Most people's concept of a rock band is this glamorous touring life, especially in the case of a band like yours, which has been nominated for Latin Grammys and all these things. But from the stories you're talking about all sleeping together in one hotel room and trying to get enough gas to go to the studio in the middle of a political revolution. It's not exactly the glamorous life, you know? So you all then decided together as a band to move to Barcelona, that's pretty amazing. After getting here, how did that affect your music? How did that affect the work you guys were doing as a band?
0: The moment we got here, we started to play everywhere we could. We started to notice something that we didn't notice before. People told us that we had like a Latin feel to a rock and roll. Of course, we coming from Venezuela has never, ever noticed that. But that's one of the things that separated us from the other rock and roll bands here. It affected us in a positive way because we met musicians from all around the world. You know, Barcelona is a big melting pot. And not just musicians from all around the world, but we got in contact with different and instruments. The first two albums, we had the usual, we had like a horn section, we had some strings, we had some keyboards, but when we came here, we had a song that had violin, we had another song with accordion, we had another song that had harmonica solo, things that we didn't take on before. And that happened because we met different people here in Barcelona.
1: So, seven albums later, nominated for Grammys, after appearing in Rolling Stone, and aside from that, you all, as you mentioned, have different careers. One's a doctor, one's a graphic designer and a professor. You own your businesses, which we're going to talk about. After all that, of all the memories that you have with this band that somehow stayed together in spite of it all, is there like one thing that stands out, musically speaking or personally speaking? Something that you've learned from working in this project.
0: I have the theory that a the musician that plays in a band, it's like the ultimate music fan. I mean, you can be like a record collector. You can go to lots of gigs and you'll know, chase people to together or whatever but when you play in a band it's really when you're a music fan especially if you don't do it for the money and i'm speaking for myself but i'm pretty sure that carlos and wilbert and pedro and all the people have played with us before could tell you the only reason we do this is for the feeling you get on stage i'm not even talking about the reaction of the crowd i'm talking about the feeling you have when you make this particular music with these particular people on stage I really love those songs and I really love playing them with the other people from Blue Spirit. That is the only reason why I keep doing it because realistically every year it gets getting more difficult but you do it for that reward that kind of telepathy that you have with the people you've been playing with for a lot of years. That thing is priceless and I I don't think there's anything else like that.
1: You mentioned that it keeps getting more difficult. Why does it keep getting more difficult? Do you mean in Barcelona or do you mean in the world in general?
0: It gets more difficult in general. Inside the band, we grow older, people have kids, people move away, Pedro left the band, work schedules or whatever, they come in conflict. The pandemic was another big thing that made it more difficult. People's priorities change. That is true not just for this band, but for Every band. So, if you really want to keep playing together, you must really be prepared to hang on.
1: Speaking of bands, about four years ago, a couple of years before the pandemic, you co-founded yet another band that's also been successful on a national level, which is a trio called Side Chick. And the band apparently owes its existence to Tinder. Is that correct?
0: Yes, it does. Like Side Chick began because I matched with Maya on Tinder, and we started going out together. Maya Vidal, she has her solo career and she was very successful. She had one Estrella summer song. She was making music. She was a professional. And I never thought by listening to her music that she had like a punk past. (laughs) <laughs> and she told me that when she was a teenager, she had a punk band, a band called Kiev in New York State. And they played the Warped Tour. They did a Coca-Cola commercial. So I was like, no way. So I instigated her to buy a cheap electric bass and to just jam. Her main instrument by that point was the, the auto. Seriously? Which is the least rock and roll instrument in the world. So we started jamming together. And then she matched with Georgina, the third part of the band, and we just made a band.
1: On Tinder also?
0: Yes, You're on kidding. Tinder. That's okay. what happened, but then the band was ready even before we played the first gig. Like we recorded our first six songs, our first EP, ended up being like the first half of the first record before we even played the first gig in 2017. And it kept going, and now we're doing gigs, promoting our second album.
1: Side and Luz Verde are totally different aesthetics. Luz Verde are the rock guys. Side is like the glam, the glitter, and the stuff. They're totally different sounds, but seeing you play with each of these projects, it seems like you fit very right naturally into both. Do you feel as comfortable in both styles as a musician?
0: We're forgetting about my big project from the early 2000s until like 2010, which was called RC2 RC2, which was a progressive rock band. I didn't know Which also recorded, yeah. We recorded two albums, one for Musea, which is a very prestigious French prog label. We did another one with an American label called Prog Rock Records that was distributed all around the world also. And we got to open for Dream Theater in Venezuela, which is like the biggest, Rock metal band in the world. So yeah, I couldn't fit into like a Latin fusion band, that wouldn't be my thing. But I'm a broken roll drummer and I love everything. I can go from Genesis into a Sex Pistols all the way. If I like the music, I'm gonna play it and I'm gonna.
1: For most people, this would already be like enough to fill your time, right? But aside from your current musical projects and your past musical projects, you also own two bars. The first of which was Polaroid Bar. That bar for people who don't know is kind of like if you walked into Stranger Things before Stranger Things was a thing it's this own little micro world of the 80s so what was the inspiration for polaroid why not just open a normal bar i mean i'm so glad you didn't but why did you decide to go that way specifically
0: when we decided to open a bar me and the partners of the bar we wanted to have a place with a concept and because we all grew up during that era and we were big fans of music we just started putting things together and we come up with this concept was like a retro bar with the decorations trying to cover everything from pop culture, toys, video games, movies, music. Every area of the bar is dedicated to something. Behind the bar, there's big Tetris pieces. We have a wall dedicated to video games. We have movie posters and uh, yeah. The thing was trying to showcase an era that we all loved. I think it showed. I'm really proud of that It
1: seems to me, just as someone who's been there and not involved in the concept of the process at all, but it's like this little unique cultural institution in Barcelona because you guys don't only have have this really obviously curated concept, but also Polaroid kind of pioneered this idea of the film and documentary screenings in an unorthodox space, which these days is really popular. Where did that idea come from? Is it just, I think it would be cool to have a hot dog and watch a David Lynch movie, or was it like, I think that this will bring people together in a social way?
0: The movie night idea came because, at least in Latin America, every Sunday, the big TV networks show like a big movie, so you gather around with your friends to watch the movie. Which, of course, they promoted like a big movie, but it could be a movie from 20 years ago. And then and we added the snacks, which are hot dogs, popcorn, and nachos, because those are the snacks from the movie theater, you know? And that's how the concept came about. I have to say, we were the first bar in Barcelona that had a popcorn machine. Now, every couple of bars you go, they have a popcorn machine, but the first one was in right? We do music documentaries sometimes, we also do trivia, everything that has to do with pop culture. We're always trying to do things that fit the concept of the bar. It's been 13 years.
1: And from what I understand, you didn't have any experience working at a bar, like zero at all, before starting this project. In the end, are there things that you learned from having to kind of learn as you go at Polaroid that fed back into your creative career, or was it just... Try to get through the end of the night.
0: <laughs> it's ironic. You study a lot, you go through university, I did a master's and whatever, and you end up thrown into the deep end. Like, yeah, now you're in a bar and you have to learn. I never, ever was behind the bar before the night we opened, and it just became my life. I didn't just have to learn how to pour drinks, I had to learn how to run the place.
1: So you have these two active musical projects, and you have Polaroid. And then, because you have all this free time, you know, you and your brother bought Foxy Bar, a vintage cocktail place in the Raval in 2019. First of all, what's the difference between the two spaces in terms of how you run them, what you feel like each one brings to its neighborhood? They're totally different.
0: Yeah. The Foxy, I was a steady client before I got the place because I used to live around the corner and I was friends with the past owner. When he told me he wanted to sell because he was tired of this line of work and I was already immersed in it because of the other bar, it was a no brainer for me. We took over the bar. The only thing we are guilty of is we changed the music because Garnica, which was the last owner, he's also a DJ. and the music of the bar was electronic music. So, because I don't know anything about that, I like to stick with things I know so I can stand behind them. We changed the music to classic rock. I think Foxy is a little bit more, as you said, more cocktail-oriented than Polaroid. We have a bigger cocktail menu and also it has a terrace. It's a smaller place. It's very cozy and it's also retro, but a different kind of retro. It's more like a 60s, 70s vibe when you come in and Polaroid's more like 80s and 90s. The only thing that's the same is that they give me worry every day <laughs> it will give you stress <laughs> it keep my level of stress very low
1: Well, it seems like from what you said, everything that you do, whether it's the bars or another project, it all kind of leads back to music at the end of the day. And in addition, you're also a pretty hardcore collector of vinyl records and an attendee of concerts. If there's any big concert in Barcelona, it's like trying to find you in the audience is kind of like playing Where's Waldo? You know what I mean? By that game. Do you feel like your love of music hasn't changed over the years in spite of all the business? Or is it hard to to continue to stay a super fan when you've got to worry about managing the bars rehearsals and things?
0: You know that Godfire 3 quote that whenever I tried to go out they pulled me back in
1: Mm -hmm. that's what
0: happened Every time I say, I'm not gonna buy this record, I'm not gonna go to this concert, and then, I don't know, this is the anniversary of this album, or they're touring this record, this other band is gonna open for them, so whatever, I ended up going to the show. That's my thing. Also, I have to say, I grew up in Venezuela, so if we got like two concerts a year over there, it was a good year. And then I moved here, and while there were lots of things happening in Barcelona, I didn't have the money to go to the show. So now that I have a steady income, making up for all those wasted years, of music so I'm coming to all the shows that I can do.
1: Thank you very much for sharing your time and your rock and roll experiences with us here at the
0: Metropolitan Culture
1: Corner. He just makes it all seem so easy, doesn't he? But the hardest thing about being an artist, a drummer, a dancer, an acrobat, an actor, a business owner is making it look easy, right? for more behind the scenes interviews with the inspiring people who are the cultural heart of beautiful barcelona tune in next month to the metropolitan culture corner leave us a comment down below to let us know who you'd like to hear from in the months to come see you next time